Uh-huh. Palms are sweaty. Palms are sweaty. Have you seen that video where it's all mom's spaghetti all the time on YouTube? No. Oh, wow. 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 <laughs> I can see how you would enjoy this. I would love this. Dude, look at that edit. <laughs> how many views does that have? 27 million. Oh my god. Wow. That's okay. <laughs>
Yeah, so I wanted to uh, make Pixar movies w- around the time when I was in grade 10, and folks told me that in order to do that, I would need to study computer science, and that got me into building very simple websites on HTML and CSS, um, and then I took an online course in computer uh, on computer science in high school, and eventually I went to University of Waterloo to study computer science, and... Um, Two, two, the funny thing is two years into the computer science program, I realized that I genuinely don't enjoy computer science, but um, I knew that it was a very practical skill to have, and so I stuck through it, but there were other aspects of computer science that I did enjoy. For example, um, I, I always knew that I enjoyed design, and I had taken a couple of psychology classes, and I knew I was enjoying cognitive science, and so I found out about the field of human-computer interactions, HCI, And for the rest of my time in Waterloo, I just uh, did, uh, took all my courses that were related to the HCI field. Um, And I ended up doing a minor in cognitive science. And I honestly enjoyed the cognitive science courses more than my computer science courses. But like, that's kind of at a high level how I um, got into computer science in high school and then continued to do it throughout university. Right. I think that's a very good summary provided for a lot of people how they actually got into the field they got into, which is you first started with something that you you are interested in, which for your case is Pixar movies, Mm -hmm. and then you realize there's a certain set of skills you need to acquire computer science. Right. And when you're while you're trying to acquire those skills for a couple years in the beginning of your university, you realize that perhaps it's not the only thing that is giving you sort of the sense of uh, fulfillment or satisfaction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you realize there are other parts of the school program, specifically HCI, which you Mm -hmm. discovered human-computer interaction that was giving you more of that fulfillment. Yeah. So you transitioned into HCI, Mm -hmm. maybe UX and design. Right, right. And then combine that with your computer science background yeah and yeah. those knowledge yeah to be honest like I I, I look every time I look at a I see a Pixar movie or just a movie in general I there's a part of me that regrets not uh, not pursuing computer graphics a little bit further so that I could build and make those kinds of movies um, but realistically um, my going back to the passion I'm I'm I've realized that m- I'm passionate about solving user problems through design. And for that, UX seems to be the best field for me as of right now. And so that's why I'm where I am right now. That's a good way of uh, looking at it. Doing movies is also solving user problems. Your users are your audience. The problems is that they want to perhaps forget about the outside world for, for two hours, be intrigued about a story, and be, be mesmerized, feel certain emotions. Right. From that perspective, that is completely a design problem. Mm. Right? I fact, see what you mean. Story has a lot to do with design as well. Mm-hmm. We, we talk about storyboarding right. and user journeys. From that perspective, you're not that far off. And in case mm-hmm. if you want to move back into doing movies p- mm-hmm. potentially one day, that is still a possibility. Right, right. Yeah. No, absolutely. I agree with that. And I think the, the thing that drew me to movies to start with that I think I'm still doing in UX the thing that drew me to movies was I wanted to create things that make people feel certain emotions, that ma- that invokes certain emotions, right? Um, and with good design, 
I would hope, like the thing that I try to achieve in is I try to invoke certain emotions when people use the products that I design. Um, and so it's obviously making movies and making designing apps are two very different things. But in that regard of invoking certain emotions, I think that's a common line that I'm still trying to work on. That's a great take, which is um, you can always progress towards a big goal, even though your current goal is not necessarily the typical path of getting somewhere. Right. Um, so one of our ex-colleagues, um, Jihei, I don't know if you've met her, mm -hmm. but she used to be a software engineer. Right, yeah. And then she yeah. transitioned to being designer just because there are so many overlapping skills. In mm -hmm. fact, she could double down on her software side of things to use to her advantage and mm -hmm. she just had to make up for the design side of things right, right. which is she she went through a master's program mm -hmm. and that's she acquired those skills right so if you one day want to go back to the film right. world you can still do that and there are plenty of ways of doing that mm -hmm. and it's definitely not sort of a winner takes all or yeah. uh, you know there's no path i think i think you're right realistically if i do want to go back to making movies um I, there are enough overlaps with the with the software uh, engineering slash design industry that it wouldn't be crazy to um, switch into movie making, uh, at least CGI and things like that. Yeah. yeah, that's very cool. So let's shift gears a little bit and talk about your current work. Yeah. So without going into the specifics, sure, uh, sure, sure. Can you talk to us about what you do? on a day-to-day -day basis? What are the kind of things you do very commonly? Sure, well, like I said, the design engineer role is a little bit different from a pure product design role or a pure uh, software engineering role. As a design engineer, um, I work very closely with product designers at the start of a project to um, just come up with ideas for a certain feature, understand what the core user problems are, and then accordingly come up with designs for them. Um, and then as a designer is coming up with certain designs, I kind of build them out on iOS in parallel. And the, 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 the way it works is that a designer will design something, I'll build it, and then the designer will, look, will get a feel for their designs very quickly and they will alter their designs uh, to, they'll pretty much iterate on their designs based on, based on the feedback that they get from my prototypes. And then I adjust my prototype again according to their design changes. And as I'm building out the designs, I'm obviously getting a feel for these uh, interaction details and I'm refining them on my own. So it's a bit of a back and forth between a designer and a design engineer. And I think it just leads to very fast iterations, and the outcome is just a higher quality product than if just one person were to do the whole thing. And so that's kind of ideally how the process goes of working with the product designer and a design engineer. And then once, it's, once the designs are finalized, I uh, try to work with an engineer to make sure that um, Everything that I build is implemented in uh, is implemented to the highest level of quality possible from a craftsmanship craftsmanship and design quality perspective. Um, we, there's obviously like it, it's very difficult to say that 
this thing happens first and then this other thing happens right after. It's not a linear process. It's all kind of, uh, it all happens relatively organically. Um, I will talk to engineers on an ongoing basis as I'm designing certain things to make sure that what I'm implementing is actually feasible in production code. And if it's not, I'll adapt myself uh, accordingly. Why do you think certain, certain companies don't have this role, whereas other companies do have this role? Right. I, I do think that it's potentially a bit of a luxury role to have. Um, my role currently is really focused on elevating the level of quality of our writer app. And so um, I, I, I would imagine that a lot of other companies can't afford to have one person who's dedicated towards just that. Um, at the same time, I would argue that maybe some very small startups, startups could benefit from someone like a design engineer in the sense that they could, you know, avoid hiring one pure iOS software engineer and one pure product designer and just have one design engineer who kind of does both. Now, I will say that one design engineer isn't better than having one separate product designer and one separate iOS software engineer. Um, but if you if you're like having to cut corners like drastically, I think you could pro pro probably get away with that. So I, I would say that companies who could benefit from a design engineer are companies that are big enough to be able to afford one or companies who um, who need uh, to get by with as few people as possible. I feel like it is very rare when you when a person that can cross multiple disciplines, straddling both the design side and the engineering side. I, I've seen personally a lot of success for people who do that, either as an engineer or as a pure designer. Designers who can code, engineer who have a good design sense, right. have seen a lot of success. Yeah. So, what Thanks, are some man. of the things you've noticed, um, just as somebody who uh, straddles both uh, design and engineering, that you, you perhaps not a lot of people have noticed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, that's a interesting question. I've not thought about this explicitly. Um, I will say that real quick. I hundred percent agree. I'm extremely fortunate to be able to be in this position. I personally think that a design engineer role is the best possible role in any tech company, just because you get to do the fun parts of a designer's job and the fun parts of an engineer's job, without getting into the maybe the more boring bits of those jobs. Um, so I, I think it's a super fun, interesting role. With regards to like what I think or have noticed is unique to someone who can straddle both things. Um, I actually think a design engineer shouldn't be an extremely niche role. What I mean by that is I think designers, more designers should be able to code or at the very least should be more technically savvy. And I think more engineers should be more design savvy. And so like design engineer is just a title. Honestly, a lot of there are a lot of designers and engineers who can do the other thing, then they just don't happen to have the exact title. Um, that's something I've noticed. I, I don't think it should be uh, an extremely niche role. Um, I think, yeah, I, I just think both parties need to be aware of the other's jobs a bit more. One of the things I've noticed to you is that you work late or you work from home. Sure. And nobody's forcing you to work. What is the thing that drives you to do that? Other than, hey, I just want to do a good job. 
Uh, honestly, it, it goes back to that passion thing, and it goes back to me being quite average. Like I said, like I, 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 one of the things I'm desperately trying to get better at is building prototypes, building higher quality prototypes quickly. And till I get better at that, I just need to spend more time without sacrificing the quality, right? And the reason I'm not willing to compromise on the quality goes back to my passion. Um, and so it, it, it's almost uh, the, one of the reasons for working slightly longer hours is I'm not willing to compromise on quality because of my passion, but it takes longer because I am a little bit average. <laughs> so hopefully the, the, the better I get at my job, I won't have to spend as much time outside of work doing these sorts of things, but that's kind of why I do that. So this is a concept uh, developed by the psychologist called uh, Mihail Csikszentmihalyi. I probably butchered his last name, but what he came up with is this finding that people tend to get into a state of flow or a state of transcendence or being lost in one's work or deep focus or subconscious awareness. Mm -hmm. It's hard to describe, but essentially it's when your challenge and your skill set are matched toe-to-toe. Mm. And then it's a linear curve. So when you're starting out, if your challenge becomes greater, much, much greater than your ability, mm-hmm. you become frustrated and you're just facing a lot of difficulties with this task. Okay. But if it's the other way around, if your challenge is way less than what your ability can afford, mm-hmm. then you'll just be bored. So mm. his idea is that as human beings and workers who want to get into an optimal state of constant improvement mm-hmm. and deep focus, we should always seek the point where our curve is going up like this, meaning our ability is matched with our challenge to the point that the challenge is just slightly eclipsing our ability. Ah, so we progress yeah. further and further by growing our, our ability right. and in turn growing our challenges. Got it. And then if we stay on this linear curve, mm-hmm. we'll be working in optimal state, which means have you had those times when you're just so focused on working, you forget forget to eat? Sure, you sure, forget sure. To, yeah. And you're like having a lot of fun looking back. Sure, like, sure. I mean, I honestly wish it would happen more often, but yeah, totally, I have. It's right. so satisfying when it happens. Yeah, okay. That's something I've noticed with people who sort of tend to f- have deep focus moments. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you might be in flow state right now. I see. Yeah. Interesting. Good thing to see, yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, that's a very nice explanation. I mean, I, I always thought about it as just getting in the zone, like, that was just a layman's way of expressing that concept, maybe. But that's a that's a cool way of like I- explaining uh, a daily routine or something that everyone thinks about but doesn't really can't explain or describe. Yeah, absolutely. So that's cool. That's that's how exactly I look at it. And, okay. Uh, yeah, it's uh, something that I think would uh, benefit you. Yeah. Uh, knowing that that is exactly how people. Uh, improve and uh, right. have optimal not just improve but like have a good time doing it right it's like I love my work and actually I think that's a good, that's a nice way uh, if you think think about work in that manner you can make any project challenging right and what I mean by that is if e- even if there is a project that you have to do that is pretty easy for you you can make it more challenging by maybe reducing the timeline or experimenting with a different technique Right, and right. that way you are making you you are making it more difficult, and as a result, you're improving your ability. Yeah, I think the key here is to not deviate too much from that matching of 
challenge versus ability. Okay. Because if it's too challenging, let's say mm-hmm. tomorrow I give you a task. Hey, in five days I would want you to build a rocket ship. Right, right, right. That can go to the moon. Yeah, for example. Yeah, yeah, then yeah, you yeah. be like, okay, crap. I where that's I start, true. Yeah, right? I see what you mean. Yeah. Whereas yeah. tomorrow or like in five days, it'd be great if you can build an interactive rocket ship simulation app. Mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. a challenge that's doable. Right, right, right. And you'd be like, okay, how do I design this so sure. that it becomes a challenge that is gets me in the optimal state for these couple of days. And I think the, the key here is to design our work so that whatever work we have, just like you said, can be done in a way that helps us achieve the most amount of optimal flow time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, I see, I see. You, want, you said something about pushing yourself to become better and better. I mean, I, I think you're a pretty modest person. Uh, so, I mean, not everybody who covets a job like this gets to be here. Mm-hmm. So what would you say is the thing that helped you stand out and helped you kept pushing yourself? Right. Um, okay, I, I will say, like, I appreciate you saying I'm modest, but I, I, I do feel like there was quite a bit of luck in me even getting my first internship at Uber. Like, I got in because a friend of mine from school recommended me, and I just kind of snuck in. I, at least that's what I feel like. Um, but I, I will say I think I took advantage of the opportunities I was given. What I mean by that is um, a- after... I got the return offer to join Uber full-time. I, I, my return offer was for a software engineer position, but I knew that there was this design engineer position that was an option, right? And so be- before one month before I was supposed to join Uber, for one reason or the other, I had to um, de- delay my join date. And I had all of a sudden like three extra months where I had really nothing to do. I was just at home in Vancouver. I, I used that extra time to prepare a portfolio that was tailored just for the design engineer position. It was an extremely focused portfolio. It showed, I think, two pieces, two or three pieces of work that would that that would demonstrate that I could do the job of a design engineer position. And I, uh, with a mixture of luck, passion, and um, Hard work guy ended up where I am right now. Isn't that the key to everything, though? The more I re- that grow up, the more I realize luck is actually involved in anything. Oh, of course, yeah. Uh, so yeah. my parents told me something that stuck with me for, uh, for the longest time. It's that luck is bestowed on people who can take advantage of it. Mm. Sure, there are people who are born lucky, mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. but people who get somewhere, there has to be a level of luck involved in that. Mm-hmm. Only those who are prepared will right. get that. Right. So right. you still put in the effort to create that portfolio that really catered to that. Mm-hmm. So yep. I think that's the key is to to know what you want to get mm-hmm. right. and work hard towards it. Yeah. But know that this is the exact thing they are looking for. So mm-hmm. know what people are looking for yeah. and know what yourself are looking for. Because obviously you had the inclination that you wanted to work in this team, in this yeah. company. Right, right, right. right. Totally. Yeah. No. And I mean, that that definitely just worked out, um, and uh, um, I'm I'm happy with the position that I have, and I'm very happy with the job I've been doing so far. My colleagues are fantastic. All that stuff is fantastic. Um, uh, it, it's just I there's a part of me that wishes I have that focus and clarity of thought a bit more consistently. You know, when it happens, it's fantastic. But I I just want to yeah try to do it more consistently. On that note, I would like to thank you for your time for speaking with us. And, of course. Uh, share Thanks your so wisdom. Thanks so much for yeah. having me, Tony. Appreciate of course, it, man. Of course. It was a pleasure.
I will close out the podcast. See you next time on High Fidelity.